We're starting a new series today. I'm thrilled to uh, share it with you. Uh, the series is really going to be about gathering and growing and going. It's a series we do every September if you're new to us here at Bethany. But this year, we're going to articulate those things a little bit differently through what is called a saturation prayer. I'll teach it to you this morning. We'll begin doing it together this morning. My prayer is that you'll do it daily over the next month and watch how God begins to change both your life and our life together. So let's begin with prayer. Father, thanks that we can gather here. That's a privilege. Thank you for this building that you've given to us. Thank you for the miracle of technology and online uh, accessibility that we can gather even when our health is compromised or when we have a lot of other things going on. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I pray that your spirit would teach us now, Father, because our desire is in the midst of all that is our culture right now, a unique time in history. Our desire is that we would represent your heart and be people of hope. So would you equip us toward that end even this morning? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as Kendi said at the beginning, we're wearing plaid, we're wearing sweaters. It's fall now. And I'm just going to take a moment and remind you of the summer that we have had. It's been a summer unlike any other. I remember seeing your faces a while ago and thinking, man, that's nice, and now you're hidden again. Uh, things are continually changing. We faced fires in California, hurricanes in the southeast. Every weekend, massive shootings in Chicago, mask wars, vax wars, debt, inflation, most recently, Afghanistan, political posturing, lawsuits. We all know somebody who's died of COVID as well. Yesterday, uh, some of you, perhaps like me, watched different memorials of 9-11 uh, 20, 20 years ago. Uh, David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, had a very insightful comment on Friday evening. He said, I remember leading up to 9-11, it felt, it felt like the world was coming together. Um, the Berlin Wall had fallen down. Eastern Europe had toppled. Communism was, top, was toppling. Uh, and, and there was this kind of movement uh, toward, you know, pluralism and... Uh, accessibility and community, and then 9-11 happened, and then there was this moment of togetherness in America, but he said, boy, the last two decades, it feels like everything's falling apart. We're splitting apart. We're, we're tribalizing. We're polarizing. We're, we're uh, afraid. We're creating, every, like, every single thing that comes up is a war, whether it's a mask or a vaccine or an immigrant or, 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 or a politician. There isn't a thing you can do anymore without it being devised. It's a very incredibly difficult time. And that's all at the cultural level. And then all of us are facing personal things as well. Health challenges, uh, aging bodies, aging parents, children, finances, vocation. This is a hard time. And so the question on the table for this next four weeks is this. How, when there's this kind of avalanche of bad news and suffering that is in our world, how do we live as people of hope? How do we do that? And I would say that our world has kind of two options that are prevailing in response to the avalanche of suffering that is this present moment. Number one, some people say, I can't handle it, we just shut the news off. And we very much privatize our world. And we go, you know what? It's, it is just simply too much. We call it compassion fatigue, or, or just weariness over the, 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 the culture wars. And so we shut down, we disengage, we privatize. We do it in religion a lot. Jesus is my personal savior. If I have my quiet time, if I read my Bible, if I take care of myself, if I stay kind of you know, morally clean and pure, boom, that's the goal. 
And then, you know, I'll live, I'll die, I'll go to heaven. <clears throat> as long as I and my family are fine, all is well with the world. And our world shrinks down substantially if we go that way. And it seems we go that way because the other option is to, is to so engage with the mess that is our world that we're just angry all the time. And Billy Joel actually captured this years ago in a song, The Angry Young Man. I looked it up. Here's some of the lyrics from his song. Give a moment or two to the angry young man with his foot in his mouth, his heart in his hand. He's been stabbed in the back. He's been misunderstood. It's a comfort to know his intentions are good. He sits in a room with a lock on a door with his maps and medals laid out on his floor. And he likes to be known as the angry young man. He's proud of his scars, the battles he fought. He struggles and bleeds and he hangs on a cross and he likes to be known as the angry young man. We're mad. We're mad about racism. We're mad about vaccinations. We're mad at Republicans. We're mad at Democrats. We're mad at Trump. We're mad at Biden. We're mad at fires. We're mad at the Forest Service. We're mad. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to fight these battles. It's, it's exhausting. And then we burn out. You want to fight or you want to quit? Well, thankfully, Jesus provides a third way. And to, to articulate this, I'm going to quote from a book, Forest Faith. You received when you came in. The author's Richard Dalsham. I don't agree with everything he says. But with that caveat, I do like this quote. So listen to this. And I mean that, too. I listen to some of my old sermons, and I'm like, really? He said that? Whatever. Uh, here we go. Jesus landed on this planet in the midst of an oppressive empire with the domination model on full display. It was Rome, right? It was a world filled with haves and have-nots and people lording it over others where the empire and its values were the only normal available. Jesus then speaks into the prevailing paradigm of struggle and suggests that we should learn to live more like flowers and birds than empire soldiers. He's so calm that he sleeps in the bottom of a boat in the midst of a life-threatening storm. He touches untouchables. He crosses social divides with ease and delight. He forgives his tormentors. He unleashes, he unleashes scathing rebukes on the institutional religious professionals of his day. What reality is he living in? Like, how can he live in the midst of an oppressive empire without fighting the empire? How does he just seem to, he kind of he doesn't really glide through, but I'll tell you how he's living God's kingdom reality. I mean, when he was arrested and Pilate said, um, what have you done wrong? Jesus says to him, are you a king? Oh, I'm a king. And then what does Jesus say? My kingdom is not of this world. That's what he says. I'm in this world. I'm in the world of Rome and buying and selling and vax wars and masks wars and, 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 and political division and polarization and immigrant wars. I'm, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. My kingdom is not that. Nations are going to rise and fall. Economies are going to rise and fall. The market's going to do well. The market's going to tank. People will move to Seattle. People will move away from Seattle. Seattle will thrive. Seattle will tank. Remember? Last person sneezing, leave, or whatever the sign said in 1973 when Boeing was shutting down. Like, the world changes. What never changes? Kingdom of God. So, like, if we can learn to live out from that, then we can be people of hope that are contributing to the transformation of the world in which we live. We're working for the good of the city, Jeremiah 29. But it all begins with us receiving and being grounded in the reality that God's kingdom is not of this world. And that's our kingdom. Let it sink into the depth of our being. All the political posturing, all the righteous indignation spewed on the 24-7 news cycle, all the storming of the castles, 
all the disease and isolation is, while its own form of reality, nothing more than a temporary veil. If Jesus is right, the kingdoms of this world are, quote, passing away, unquote. And when that happens, all that remains will be that which is shot through and saturated with our Creator's love and beauty and glory and justice. Jesus' kingdom, not of this world, but in this world. But the problem is that kingdom is hidden under mountains of garbage <laughs> that is our daily living and our news cycle. So in Hebrews, it says, for this reason, because this kingdom is eternal, while the kingdoms of this world are passing away, because this kingdom is just and beautiful and healing, while the kingdoms of this world are based on the domination model, for this reason, Hebrews 2, we must pay much closer attention to, this, to Jesus' kingdom. Much closer. Because if I don't, I will be swept away in the storm that is our culture. And if I can just be blunt, we as a church, big C, and me as a big capital M, me, I guess, we uh, have been swept away at various times over the last year, Right? swept away in culture wars, swept away in political divisions. You know, our righteous indignation over the, the denseness of the other, man. Meanwhile, this kingdom is like all but invisible of justice and hope and mercy. Let's make it visible again. Hey, like amen or something? Do you see what I'm saying? Like this is really important. Well, how do we do that? Well, it starts with us believing that that's the real world not Disneyland. So the practice of paying much closer attention is the theme these next few weeks. And we're going to address it by introducing a short meditation practice this morning and then encouraging you to practice that daily for the next month or so. And we're going to meditate on what I'm going to call a saturation prayer. And it's really based on St. Patrick's famous breastplate prayer. So I'll give you kind of a synopsis of the St. Patrick prayer. St. Patrick uh, came to Christ, and, and then when he was in Ireland, he became uh, clearly the most famous evangelist from Ireland. And in 433, uh, he, he wanted to light a, a, a bonfire on the night of Easter to celebrate Christ as the eternal light. So picture that. And then the high king, who lived in Terra, he also intended to light a bonfire that same night, but his bonfire was intended to symbolically declare, I, the king, am the light. Like I, the king, read the state, I'm your source of provision. I'm your source of security. I'm your source of direction. Trust me, the king, I'll take care of you. It's very Roman Empire-ish, right? And every other political party. <laughs> like, we'll do it. Trust us. So the king wants to light a fire, and he said, to symbolize that my fire is the only fire, he sends his wizard out and, and says to his wizards and, wizards and uh, soldiers, put out every other fire. Well, here's Patrick's got a fire going. The only other fire, Right? And uh, so the king says, go find the guy and kill him. So Patrick knows that his life is at risk, and he prays this prayer. And, and in the prayer that he prays, 
this is what he prays. He says, you know, I'm, there's this temporal battle going on between the powers of this world and the kingdom of God, but this is what I know. Christ beside me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ to my right, Christ to my left, Christ in my lying, my sitting, my rising, Christ in the heart of all who know me, Christ on the tongue of all who meet me, Christ in the eye of all who see me, Christ in the ear of all who hear me. In other words, look, when I look with my human eyes, what do I see? I see the king in terror, you know, boasting and threatening and, you know, ready to kill me. And I see the I see economies rising and falling. I see nations rising and falling. I see Afghanistan. I see racism. I see shootings in Chicago. I see terrible housing challenges just at Green Lake, let alone I-5. I see economic uncertainties. I see us shutting down again. And I don't know what to do, but I know this. This is Patrick. Christ is in me. Christ is above me. Christ is below me. Christ is around me. Christ has filled me. Christ is in the mouth of every person who speaks to me. Christ is in the eye of every person who sees me. Christ, Christ, Christ. He's saying this. This is the deeper reality. Live out from there. And then you can make a difference in the world without getting burnt out, right? And then the wizards went to the king and they said, we couldn't couldn't put the fire out. And there were like supernatural beings guarding the fire. And they said prophetically, his fire will light the land of Ireland till the end of time, which is exactly what happened. So there's this prayer that we'd be mindful of God's presence everywhere. For us, we're going to look at a distilled version of that prayer for the next four weeks. Christ above me, I receive. Christ beneath me, I'm rooted. Christ around me, I'm connected. Christ within me, I'm called. And each one of those four statements, we're going to unpack one today, three, and the three subsequent weeks. But before we do that, I'm going to invite you to actually meditate on those things. You know, it says in Psalm 1 that meditation is really how you you do Hebrews 2, how you pay much closer attention. How do you do that? By turning your mind again and again to the same truth so that it becomes part of your being, right? So Christ is above you. Christ is beneath you. Christ is around you. Christ is within you. Uh, We're going to just... I invite you now to say that in following the slides for three minutes. And while we do this, my friend John is going to come and and play the harp. So this is your introduction to this meditation that we'll be doing for the next month. Let's worship together.
Thank you, John. I don't know if I can ever do meditation again without a harp. That was just amazing. Can we give him a thank you? John plays uh, with the Seattle Symphony and many other orchestras in our city, and we're honored to have him as part of our family here. Thank you so much. So I hope that you begin to practice this daily. We're going to turn that little section that we just did into a video. It'll be on YouTube, so you can just flip that on with your coffee in the morning or whatever is helpful for you. But we want to begin to see that, first of all, today's theme, Christ is above me, therefore I receive. Kindy read this. Since uh, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God, keep seeking the things that are what? Above, where Christ is seated. That's the deepest reality. And then from above, James 1.17, from above comes every good and perfect gift. So we want to learn just what does it mean to receive from above? How do we, like, how do we do that? And to address that in our time together uh, today, what I'd like to do is address actually the three problems that prevent us from receiving. In other words, receiving from above is the natural state of things. Those uh, that are unencumbered by sin receive from above all the time. So, for example, these trees that are out here, they were planted in, I believe, 2009 or so when this building was built. And they're much larger now than they were initially. And, of course, they're larger because they're continuing to grow. But the reason that they're continuing to grow, one of the reasons, they're rooted. We'll look at that next week. But it's also true that right now, as we're here, those trees are receiving gifts that are becoming part of their nature that are enabling them to grow. The cells are multiplying. Uh, when the sun is out, those few days in the summer that that happens around here, they, they receive the sunlight, and the sunlight works its magic with uh, the, the carbon and the chlorophyll uh, that kind of kicks into high energy. I'm sorry, I'm not a biologist, so I'm using layman's terms, but kicks the cells into multiplication mode, and, and, they, and they multiply, and they grow. But before they multiply, they receive. Everything begins with receiving. And, and, and so I want us to see that the trees receive no matter what party is in office, no matter who wins the mayor's thing in a few weeks, you know, no matter how many people are living in tents or aren't, no matter, you know, how many offices Amazon occupies, no matter what their taxes are. I mean, we fret about all this stuff. That Meanwhile, the trees just keep doing what they're made to do. Well, what are you made to do? I'll tell you what you're made to do. It says in Galatians 1 that God was pleased to reveal God's son in me. That's Paul. Paul is saying, God's deepest desire is that you would be this display of Christ. Well, how do you do that? Not by fretting about the news cycle. You do that at the start. I mean, yes, we care for the city. Don't mishear me. We'll get to that. You're called. But before you're called, you must receive. And, and, and so those that are growing begin by receiving. And there's, the reason we don't receive, there's three reasons. We don't pay attention, we don't give thanks, and we compare ourselves with each other. So very briefly, we want to look at each of those three things so that we can learn to receive so that we can grow. Here's the first problem that prevents us from receiving. We don't pay attention. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthians, are, are, they're, a, they're a port city, and therefore there's a lot of trade. Therefore, they're, pretty, uh, they're quite pluralistic, actually, quite prosperous, actually, uh, and, and quite intellectual, actually. Let's see, prosperous port city that's plural, pluralistic, 
intellectual liberal. Does that sound familiar? I, I can think of one or two places like that in the world, uh, including the ground upon which I'm standing right now. When Paul writes to them, they don't want to receive what he has to say, and they build kind of this arrogant wall, oh, we're smarter than you, Paul. Well, here's what Paul says to them. We who think we're smart and have built our lives, what do you have that you did not receive? And then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Let's just think about this for a minute. Paul says to the Corinthians who are wealthy, educated, uh, open-minded, and kind of proud of their status in life, what do you have that you didn't receive? Do you know what? It's a rhetorical question. What's the answer? What do you have that you didn't receive? Nothing. Let's state it positively. Everything I have, I received. I didn't earn earn anything. Just stop here. This is so contrarian to everything we're taught, right? Like, how 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 do you build your life? Well, you know, you go out and work hard. You go out and get an education. You go out and polish your resume. You go out and get well-connected. So that means, you know, LinkedIn and Instagram and whatever is the thing, you know, and and then you go out and you put yourself out there and you make a good video resume and you get a good job and then you work hard on that job and you meet your goals and you nail your performance reviews and you rise the ladder and then you manage other people and then pretty soon, you know, you're the CEO and you got stock options and you buy a ranch in Cleelum and you're done. It's all good, man. And then you're like this, my ranch, I did it. And here's Paul, you didn't do anything. Oh, I mean, yes, you did. You showed up. But first of all, let's just back up the train a little bit. Education, where'd that come from? You happen to not live in Afghanistan. Education. You happen to, you happen to get into college or have parents who, who helped you pay for it. If not parents, the state. If not the state, you. But you, you're, oh, you're educated? Good for you. It's a gift. Yeah, you participated, but it's a gift. Oh, and by the way, why were you healthy all that time? Well, you know, clean water, some kind of a department of food that prevents you from wondering if there's cholera in what you're eating, parents who love you, intimacy, trust that was built somewhere along the way, your education, your food, your water, your health, your sunshine, your air, then you have a job, also a gift. And then, and then because you have that job, you have money magically shows up in a bank somehow. It's really not even money. It's just numbers somewhere in the air. But because you have numbers in the air, you can go to Goodwill and buy a sweater. But you didn't earn it. It's a gift. Because, you know, you're in this time and place, and this, for better or worse, for more and less, this is what God has given you. So, begin to realize that everything, when you look around, you're not looking at, quote, unquote, your kingdom. It's not your kingdom. This is what God has, what? Given you, and to whom much is, what? Given, much is required, but it starts by receiving with gratitude. Man, I didn't earn anything. I, 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 think, about, I think about this thing I do, and I'm so grateful to do it, and it's so life-giving to me to share with you and I'm so mindful, I don't deserve to be here. I'm not that holy. I'm not that disciplined. I'm not that, hard, not that hardworking. I'm not that articulate. I'm not that whatever. I'm not. 
I'm here, it's a gift that I'm here. Gift to me. I think of my friends who built a beautiful theater and they worked hard and they had setbacks and I know them well enough to know that they know. It's all a gift. Our intellect, a gift. Our health, a gift. Our marriage is a gift. Our callings, a gift. Our new roles, a gift. Gift, gift, gift. Why do you boast as if you earned it? Because if you boast, then you're not really in a posture of receiving, you see? Gifts from above, family, friends, mentors, education. Water, no small thing. Food, no small thing. In a world of disappearing topsoil. The food that we have. Shelter, faith community who loves you and is for you. Gifts and aptitudes you have. Material provision, creature comforts. I just go on and on and on. Gift, gift, gift. Beauty and creation, intimacy. Longings for justice. God put all this in you. Is the world perfect? No, it's fallen. Do we deserve our gifts? No, they're gifts. But when we receive the gifts with gratitude, not guilt, gratitude, and embrace that reality, that becomes kind of, that lays the foundation. Oh, I've been given a great deal. Therefore, a great deal is asked of me. I'm, to, I'm, to, I'm now called because I've received from God's quote-unquote gift economy. I'm now called to live into the gift economy myself and freely give, freely share gifts, affirmation, teaching, food, money. Give, give. Why? Because you have freely received. It says in uh, Psalm 19, the heavens are shouting all the time about God's glory. The trees are receiving. The mountains are receiving the water that comes as snow and then comes as rain and then goes down into, and then it waters the crops and then the crops turn into wheat and then we eat the bread. It's all gift. So pay attention to what God is providing. This is one of the beauties, really, of um, giving thanks at meals, I believe. It can become perfunctory. And I encourage you not to allow it to do so. But I do encourage you and I, before eating, to look at what is on our plate and say, this is here because of the goodness of God. Did I buy it? Yes, I didn't steal it. I put money down. But it would not be there without a panoply of people participating and the goodness of God who provides the rain and the soil and and the sunshine. So pay attention. Second thing, though, some of us pay attention when we don't give thanks. In Romans 1, we're told that the judgment that comes to the, to the world comes not because people don't know there's a God, it's because people do know there's a God because they see the gifts of God in creation and yet don't give thanks. And this happens, you know, frankly, quite a bit. In my own little sliver of the world, I am stunned when I have this priv- incredible privilege to ski on a quite regular basis in the mountains because that's where I happen to live. And I love skiing. And when it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter, it could be raining, it, it could be sleet, it could be anything. I'm out here and I'm healthy enough to do this and I'm like, could life get any better possibly in any way? And then there's people in front of me, you know, the food at the, like, canteen was 
$18 for a burger, and then swear, 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 never again, swear, swear, swear. The snow sucks, swear, 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 you know? They're like, go home, man, and watch reruns or something, because you're not having any fun right now. How can you be here and not give thanks? Are you with me? Like, give thanks for your food, give thanks for the, the, the time that you enjoy in recreation, give thanks for intimacy, everything. And I shoot, I shoot at people on, on the ski slopes, and I'm as, I'm as guilty as anyone on an airplane. I get on a plane, stupid masks on the plane. And then this last time, coming home from San Jose, are you kidding me? The internet doesn't work? What kind of a world do we live in? Yeah, we live in a world where we fly six miles above the earth at 500 miles an hour and we're home, and I'm complaining about the internet. How about the wonder of flight once in a while? Look at this. So, so we want to begin to practice gratitude. And how do we do that? Well, at least for me, I keep a gratitude journal. So every day I try and write down one thing, at least one thing, for which I'm grateful. And Kendi has been on that list as our executive pastor. Eric has been on that list. Scott and Pam Nolte have been on that list. M moments of gratitude. The trees in my forest have been on that list. My coffee has been on that list, right? There, I mean, the list never ends. We, we, we begin to practice gratitude, and it sh kind of shifts our paradigm, right? And then complaint number three is comparison. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says that those who compare themselves with one another are foolish, and the reason that we're foolish is because when I'm looking at what you have and wishing it were mine, I cannot be thankful for what I have. Does that make sense? Like if I'm thinking, oh, I, I wish my marriage was as happy as theirs. I wish my body was as healthy as his. I wish my bank account was as full as theirs. I wish my uh, number of books sold were as many as this guy. I wish my sphere of influence were this large. You know, I wish I, wish I played piano like Chris does over there. I wish, I wish, I wish. Well, then I, I'm, not, I'm not able to enjoy exactly what God has given me in this moment. And so we want to understand and name these moments of comparison because comparison will steal your gratitude. And then you, then you stop, you literally stop receiving, right? I know um, I was walking the dog earlier this summer uh, and I didn't realize how good a dog can be for one's soul. I did not want to get out of bed because I was living in a bit of a moment of pity. I was frustrated with some things at work and Afghanistan stuff was happening. And so this kind of convergence zone of kind of global and personal crises. And I was like, I would, no, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to stay here and be mad. And then this little ball of, you know, fur hops up on the bed, starts licking my face like, come on, it's time. He might as well have a watch. Let's go, you know. And then so we drove over to this little pond and we're walking around the pond and I'm in this foul mood. And then I start paying attention. Oh, wow, look at that. The sun is coming up and it's turning this mountain that was purple into a blue and then the light blue and then a green and then all these shades of green. And as soon as the sun is fully up, it creates somehow wind and the, and the wind brings the bees out and the bees are pollinating the flowers. And my dog is 
you know, chasing the bees as they're pollinating the flowers. And it's all this, just this dance of incredible beauty. And it's still there. And yes, Afghanistan. Yes, work. Yes, health challenges. Yes, whatever is your thing. Challenge, 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 challenge. And by the way, you're alive. And, and breathing clean air, give thanks for what is on your plate without wishing life were other than it is. Because I'm telling you this, Ecclesiastes 10.9, this is your day. Whatever your hand finds to do today, do with all your might. You don't have tomorrow. You may not, but you have today as a day of gratitude. And gratitude leads to worship, and worship leads to transformation, and transformation leads to service. It says in Isaiah 55, the trees will go out with joy and clap their hands in worship. The trees are worshiping, no problem. What's wrong with us? I'll tell you what. A, we don't pay attention. B, we don't give thanks. C, we compare. Sweep that deck clean, and you become a worshiper. Become a worshiper, and you begin to make a difference in the world because you then are living in a kingdom, what? Not of this world. In this world, but not of this world. A kingdom of hope and mercy and justice and peace. May that be our story as Bethany Community Church as we live and serve in this city in the days ahead. Father, meet us now as we worship. Meet us in this next month. We commit the month to you. Build into us even a habit of meditating on the reality that we're part of something beautiful that you're a good God, and we'll thank you for it. We pray in Christ's name, amen.